I'm Hillary. I'm Emily. And, and we're, we're the, the sirens. sirens. Today we are talking about Christmas in Connecticut, a 1945 Christmas movie that was directed by Peter Godfrey and written by Lionel Hauser and Adele Comandini. The film stars Barbara Stanwyck, Dennis Morgan, S.C. Sakal, and Sidney Greenstreet in a rare comedic churn. Elizabeth Lane, played by Stanwyck, is a single New Yorker and a very successful magazine writer. Her articles about her fictitious Connecticut farm, her husband, and baby are admired by housewives across the country. Her publisher, Alexander Yardley, played by Sidney Greenstreet, is totally unaware of this charade, partly because the only thing he insists on as the boss uh, is that everything that's printed in the magazine is the truth and everyone obeys him. He insists that Elizabeth host a Christmas dinner for a returning war hero named Jefferson Jones, who has read all of her recipes while in the hospital and is so fond of her that his nurse writes a letter to the publisher, sort of on, on his behalf, calling in a favor. And facing a career-ending scandal to reveal, you know, that everything is, in fact, a lie, um, that would jeopardize not only her job, but also her editor's job, um, Elizabeth is forced to comply with this request by agreeing to marry her friend, John Sloan, who happens to have a farm in Connecticut, and by enlisting the help of her uncle, uh, Chef Felix, com complications ensue when Jefferson arrives at the farm and they ha experience love at first sight. Yeah, that and there you go. That pretty much sums it up. <laughs> it's like one, one hilarious complication after another. Yes. Have you seen this one, Hillary? No, I had never seen it, and I didn't know what to expect. And it fulfilled all of those expectations. <laughs> Had you seen it before? No, I hadn't. Um, and it, actually, it exceeded my expectations, but we'll, <laughs> we'll get into it. So did do you have some trivia about this movie? I do. I have several bits of trivia, um, including that Betty Davis was originally cast as Elizabeth um, in this movie. Yep. And obviously that did not come to pass, but I, I feel like it would be a different movie oh my gosh totally i mean they're both great actresses but uh i just don't see betty davis in this no not at all sc uh Sakal, i don't know if i'm pronouncing his last name correctly he who plays uncle felix the chef where all the recipes come from is actually of hungarian ancestry uh, in the movie, he serves several Hungarian-inspired dishes in the film, including, like, referring to the Irish potato stew as pep, uh, as goulash, to which he adds, like, of like a boatload of paprika. And he makes kidneys and some other things. And apparently he, like, he himself really didn't like um, what he called American food, and he insisted on eating only Hungarian or, like, other European food, so that even, like, his wife had to come cook him lunches while he was on set. <laughs> well, it probably seems very bland, don't you think? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> seems, yeah, <laughs> like not the worst choice. <laughs> no. And more um, paprika and everything is a good idea, yeah. right? Yeah. Paprika hasn't ruined very many things <laughs> ever. <laughs> um, the character of Elizabeth Lane was loosely based on a popular Family Circle magazine columnist named Gladys Tabor, who actually lived on a farm in Connecticut. 
There is a scene when Felix first meets Yardley. That's played by Sydney Greenstreet. Side note, they both appear in Casablanca. Felix immediately dislikes Yardley and mumbles under his breath, Fat Man, as he walks away. Um, and there's, it's kind of an Easter egg because in 1941, in um, The Maltese Falcon, Greenstreet played the role of Castor Gutman, whose code name was Fat Man. So it was kind of a reference to that. Oh, I thought it was kind of funny that he called him that because I was like, you guys are roughly the same size. Yes. Fat recognizes fat. <laughs> it's all good around here. It's all good. No judgment at all. No. <laughs> so the entire runaway sleigh ride sequence was filmed in sound stages on the Warner Brothers backlot with snow drifts and that were simulated by soap flakes. And apparently, like, they don't actually go very far at all. You can tell if you're paying attention that, um, you know, they've only moved about four feet. <laughs> oh, I didn't realize it was that little. There's not a lot of movement actually happening. Uh, some tricky camera work, I think. In 1945, the year this movie was made, Jack Warner went on a, like, budget conscious kick because there were a bunch of there had or there had been a bunch of like extravagant production expenditures during the war and so one of the like one thing where that played out in this movie was that the mink coat that um barbara sandwich's character buys for herself in the beginning of the film is the same coat that joan crawford wears mm -hmm. During Mildred Pierce. Oh my gosh. That totally makes sense to me because when she is wearing that coat, the shoulder pads are so out of control. And I was thinking the only <laughs> times I've, I've ever seen them this out of control are like on Joan Crawford. <laughs> Ta-da! And then the last bit of trivia is that John Sloan's Connecticut home in this film is also... The same set used in Bringing Up Baby. Which, spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> it's our movie for January. Yeah, we'll have to see uh, which use we preferred. Yeah, and Bringing Up Baby happened in 1938, so by the time this movie was filmed, it was, you know, six or seven years old. Okay. So, so that's that's the trivia I have. That was fun. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of self inside Hollywood yeah. uh, references to other movies. So basically, what we do every episode. That's right. Uh, Our kind of trivia. Um, who did you Who did you bio for this movie? So I bioed Barbara Stanwyck. I can't believe we haven't done one of her movies before this. I know. Although I think it's fitting that we did this one because we were originally going to do Double Indemnity in November. <laughs> yeah. And uh -huh. then we couldn't stomach another dark movie, so we did. We we made a different choice. I think it, it's about time that we covered her. Yeah. So she was born Ruby Catherine Stevens on July 16th, 1907 in Brooklyn. And her mother died when she was four years old. Uh, she was pushed off a streetcar and had a miscarriage Ugh. and then Ugh. died from complications of that. Her, right after the funeral, her father joined a work crew digging the Panama Canal and just never came back. Oh my gosh. So she was an orphan from a young age. And she and her brother, Byron, were raised by their oldest sister, Laura. But once Laura got a job as a showgirl, they got shuffled around to all different foster homes. So oh. she really didn't have a super great childhood. Um, but she was exposed to show business from a young age through her sister and always wanted to perform. 
and Stanwick dropped out of school at 14 and worked tons of different jobs, including package wrapping, filing, and cutting dress patterns until she got a job as a Zigfield girl at 16. Wow. Yeah. And she was performing in nightclubs, like dancing from midnight until 7 a.m. and stuff like that, (laughs) just as a young girl. Then she appeared in the part of a chorus girl in the popular play The Noose, which kind of started her in theater. And she went on to Broadway success in Burlesque in 1927. And after that, Hollywood came calling and she moved out to L.A. In 1930, she appeared in Ladies of Leisure and established a long working relationship with Frank Capra. Mm. Um, And she played a wide range of roles and earned her first Academy Award nomination for the title role in Stella Dallas when she was able to Mm. portray the character as vulgar yet sympathetic. Um, And a lot of what I read about her was about her range which you could like if you just look at the list of her movies she's all over the place and does well in lots of different types of roles and also just Mm -hmm. that she was really great to work with Uh, in 1941 she appeared in Preston Sturge's The Lady Eve where she plays a slinky sophisticated con woman and Uh it's considered one of the best comedy performances of all time that same year she played nightclub performer sugar puss o'shea and howard hawks ball of fire and received an academy award nomination for that oh yeah which we need to put on our list of movies to watch yes and the lady eve i mean maybe we should just add a bunch of sandwich movies (laughs) (laughs) we gotta catch up make up for lost time In 1944, she appeared in Billy Wilder's Double Indemnity, which is considered one of the best films, like full stop, of all time, as the scheming wife who lures an insurance salesman into killing her husband. Um, Mm. And that's a movie they actually had us watch in grad school, like, for writing, just because the plotting is so tight in it and, like, the writing is so good. Hmm. Uh, She continued acting in movies in the 50s and then transitioned to television for the next several decades with The Barbara Stanwyck Show, The Big Valley, and The Thorn Birds. Uh, And she Hmm. was known as professional, friendly, and down-to-earth on set. She often knew the crew's families, and she often did her own stunts. On the downside, so she she wasn't able to have kids, and she adopted a child, and they had a bad relationship and were basically estranged after adulthood. She supposedly was like very strict on him and also she was super conservative and kind of she since she came from kind of a rough background she was one of those people who had the view like well if you just work hard enough you can make it so nobody should get a handout um oh no and she was involved with sort of like anti-communist activities (laughs) great yeah so like her personal life did not seem just when i was starting to like her (laughs) But I like that she, you know, was good on set and not, like, too uppity to fraternize with the regular workers. Uh, She died on January 20th, 1990, at age 82 of congestive heart failure and COPD in Santa Monica, California. And that's her. And, of course, there's a lot more about her. This is kind of just an overview. (laughs) You know what I found very striking about her? She has such a great voice. Mm -hmm. I know. Yeah. And it's not even, like, one of those husky like sexy voices but it just she just sounds so cool and alluring yeah like of course if, if she was saying like let's go on a sleigh ride like sure i'll go on a sleigh yeah. ride with you <laughs> totally i was like what? name the sleigh <laughs> i'll go <laughs> so what did you think like as a, a general impression of this movie 
My general impression was that it was a silly movie that was like like you could like predict where it was going I think as like any movie where like the part of the setup is like oh I've lied about the fact that I'm married and I have a family or whatever like Mm -hmm. you know by the end (laughs) like that's gonna be an issue in some way (laughs) but like things will turn out fine and that's actually one of my favorite like story plots you know somebody lying about being married and then sort of backfires on them and I liked that it you know it had like a Christmas feel to it and it was it it wasn't too like heavy and you know it was like, it was enjoyable but it wasn't and it was silly but it wasn't like stupid <laughs> so it was, <laughs> like it was worth watching what about you uh, i mean i liked it even more than i thought i was going to and i kind of just except for knowing sort of broad strokes what it was about i pretty much went in blind and they had a lot of great character actors in this mm-hmm. and i really yes. enjoyed that so like i guess i enjoyed a lot of the little bits more than i enjoyed mm-hmm. the overall plot but i'm fine with that <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, it was you're right. It was neat that there were there was like the the main plot and the main characters, but there were like little things for, you know, Uncle Felix and Nora the housekeeper to like have some back and forth on and some other like scenes with the judge and other people. So it was just silly. <laughs> Yeah. But not in a bad way. Yeah. I, I did laugh out loud multiple times during the movie. Uh, I thought Nora was really funny. <laughs> I liked when she said that she hadn't flipped and she wasn't going to flip (laughs) i know i know oh i also thought that stanwick had very good chemistry with jefferson jones Uh, yeah although like you know that whole like love at first sight you know he brings he caught he arrives and is like oh you're younger than i thought you were gonna be i have this rocking chair for you and then they're like immediately like lost in each other's eyes or whatever i was like okay yes (laughs) and all (laughs) mike and i were laughing about that because he says you're younger than I thought you were going to be. And she has an eight-month-old baby. And I was like, how I know. <laughs> did you think she would be? Like, this. No. like opening line is, so I'm here to see your mother. I had that same thought. Because, like, Barbara Stanwyck is, like, 38 when she made this movie. So it's not like she's, like, Wenny. It's, yeah. <laughs> there's a little bit of, like, suspension of disbelief. Yeah, I I'm think sorry. that there's a lot of plot devices in this movie that don't hold up to a lot of scrutiny. <laughs> <laughs> we will rip them apart. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so that, that part was kind of silly that it was, like, love at first sight. And also the resolution of the movie didn't really make sense because they you know he finds out she's been lying the whole time but he really doesn't know anything about her no at all except that she like lied yeah (laughs) like he doesn't know about her life or like you know the whole time that he they're together she's pretending to be something else so i don't know it seemed like a little risque this like man coming out of this woman who like he thinks is married you know and they're like having this like an affair basically you know i was just like curious about how that could be acceptable in any kind of way and there's there's a line at the very very end where like like my understanding is that felix tells him like right after the nurse shows up that you know this is all a ruse and elizabeth isn't available like isn't isn't actually like married and then he like jefferson goes to the bedroom and teases her whatever and then like they have a little bit of an exchange um and he reveals that like he knows the truth and she says something like oh you knew the whole time and he says yes which having that line in there saying like oh 
you knew the whole time and him saying you know yes like it's not logical in the plot but that's like maybe the like loophole that they could allow this movie to like have some kind of moral yeah like it was morally acceptable it also seemed to me like she could have just told him the truth by himself because the only one they really needed to fool was the editor or the the publisher right i mean they if she really had been married bare minimum they would have had an emotional affair because she kept egging him on she was like wait yeah you like someone but she's married tell me more about this person (laughs) <laughs> you think I'm wonderful? Tell me more. Yeah. Yeah, that was, I guess, kind of surprising for the time. Yeah. Um, And I was thinking, you know, in real life, if he had fallen for her and he thought that she was married, that like half the allure of it would have been that she was unavailable, mm-hmm. you know? So yeah. in real life, he'd probably been like, oh, wait, you're available now? Never mind. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. He never, like, reveals to her that he's engaged, even though he's, like, he doesn't want to be engaged to this woman, to the nurse, um, and then she finds out. So there's, like, totally, like, double cheating happening, you know, theoretically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can we also talk about the general weirdness and creepiness of people saying, like, I want to go spend Christmas at this stranger's house so I can just watch them do domestic things? Yeah. What's wrong with that, Emily? Um, <laughs> the, the part that I was the most outraged by was when he arrives that day and then asks if he can watch her give the baby a bath yeah never say yes to that (laughs) that's when you kick the person out of your house yeah and be like no you can't like as if some random (laughs) some random guy wants to watch (laughs) wants to watch you give your child a bath that is that is a red flag Like, unequivocally. Um, the other part that seemed really <laughs> weird was that Yardley was like, please let me watch you flip a pancake. And I was like, there's some weird, like, sexual stuff going on. I know. Like, flip a pa- Like, wow, if that's, that's your turn on, dude. Don't even know what to say. Who knew that? Who knew that? <laughs> Bathing a baby and flipping a pancake could be so deadly. <laughs> I also had like so much agita about those babies. <laughs> the babies that they kept referring to as it. Yeah. <laughs> the, they were just like, you would just leave your baby with some people you didn't even know. The opening, the way the first baby appears, it's just in a room lying on a bed by itself with the door closed. Yeah. That's a, that's proper child care. Emily. <laughs> and I mean, it's perfectly safe. I know we've gotten like hyper obsessed with safety, but these babies were like in the house with a bunch of people they didn't know. The time at night when like someone was supposed to be watching about like Felix was asleep and I was like, where is <laughs> yeah. the baby? <laughs> yeah, I mean, theoretically, Nora was, like, taking good care of them. Yeah, but Nora had a job. But, like, like, Nora wasn't yeah. watching. That's right. She already had a job. Why was she... <laughs> it was, like, um, earlier in the movie when in the column she was talking about making a seven-course meal while her eight-month-old watched her in the kitchen. And I was like, this is how you know this is made up. No, no. This would not have happened. They act like, oh yeah, you could do all this other stuff. And then the baby's just there. The baby's lying on the bed safely with the door closed. Perfectly quiet. 
<laughs> yeah, that part was wild to me. And I mean, like, <laughs> I know it was played for laughs. And yeah, she kept calling the baby it. I was like, this is a very large giveaway that this is not your child. Well, and then Sloane was doing it too. Like, how is it? Yeah. Where is it? It's a human being. And theoretically, you know what the, <laughs> what the gender like, is. Right. You will be referring to it by a, a gender pronoun. Yeah. <laughs> and a name, maybe? Maybe a name. So what was your take on Sloane and, like, the fact that she said yes to his proposal? Did you think she was just kind of worn down or just using him for the house? I think it was probably a little bit of both. That she, like, she didn't know what she wanted and didn't, like, she just knew that her job was in jeopardy if she didn't do something. And so she was like, well, this is the best offer I have. The house in the column is based was based on his house anyway so i still thought that she could have gotten out of doing it if she was just like i'm sick or something like you know just some random excuse or it's christmas and i'm not hosting some strangers at my house on christmas yeah pick any other day But then we would have no movie. That's right. We would have no movie and she wouldn't have fallen in love with the um, the sailor. So it all worked out. She'd still got fired. <laughs> but she like had some agency in the end because the, pub- the publisher was like, no, you can still do it. And she threw him out. <sighs> I think the movie could have been called Felix Fixes Everything. <laughs> <laughs> because that's pretty much what happened. <laughs> Yes. He did all the cooking. He stopped her from marrying Sloane. He got her together with Jefferson Jones. He's a good uncle. Yeah, he was good. He was my favorite character. Yeah, by far. (laughs) Although, like, I was realizing afterwards that we see the editor at the beginning, and then we never see him again. Yeah. What happened happened to him? I want to... He needs to come back. Did you feel sort of... I found it delightful that she and her editor had an actual, like, close working relationship that was not a romantic relationship, and she actually just cared about his job security. Yeah. Well, and that, like, his... Like, he was concerned when she was, you know, she was like, yes, I'm gonna marry Sloan for this, like, so that nobody's... Like, he like he didn't... He was like, this is maybe, like, maybe this is taking it a little too far to marry this guy that you do not love. Which I was kind of surprised that they were actually gonna, like, you know, make a marriage happen and not just, like, like continue the charade. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I did appreciate seeing a, like, respectful relationship. I thought, I was thinking a lot about um, the movie His Girl Friday, where there's not really a respectful relationship between a, like, crackerjack woman reporter and an editor who, you know, doesn't really respect her as a person. Yeah, that's true. And there's romantic feelings there. <laughs> that's right. That cloud judgment. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, one thing I found a little bit jarring about this movie is that, see if you thought this too. So the opening is focused on Jefferson Jones and his pal, Mm -hmm. and it's Mm -hmm. from their perspective. And then it flips, and then the whole rest of the movie is from uh, her perspective. And I just thought that was very strange, that like they it would have been better having it all one way or all the other way because it kind of I agree threw me off as the audience yeah I 100% agree like at the beginning I had such a hard time trying to figure out what was happening (laughs) (laughs) well and it just was not like for the movie that this is that beginning did not necessarily need to be there (laughs) 
No. I mean, I guess, like, you needed, it was, like, the easiest way to, like, say, oh, here's a sailor. He was on the, sh- he was, like, at sea for 18 days. He fell in love with this nurse. So you had, like, the context of who he was. But it was really, yeah, totally jarring. They could have maybe accomplished that with, like, showing a little bit more details of the letter that the nurse wrote or oh, something yeah. like mm-hmm. that. I don't know. Yeah. I just thought it was weird that they started it from his perspective and then you don't get his perspective again for the rest of the movie yeah and there's only there's like a couple of places well i guess there's like places where like it's alexander yardley's perspective or you know like you know we see you know felix or nora without um you know without elizabeth in the room but it's not the same it's weird yeah it was it was very strange um what did you think of that super weird ending where yardley just yells what a christmas it's like well you got over that bass dude it makes me wonder if she gets her job back (laughs) yeah in the next scene (laughs) she's just like this is hilarious and i was like why is that why does he get the last word what's going on because men because hashtag all men (laughs) he because he's always right and people don't say no to him (laughs) yeah he was annoying i i thought well just the character of yardley yeah that he like i mean i guess like i we're meant to feel kind of sorry for him that he's like expecting to have christmas with his family and then they decide at the last minute that they're not coming so he's like well i'm gonna go too i'm gonna go to elizabeth lane's house too and be i really want to see a pancake flip in the air and only a woman can do it (laughs) and not the housekeeper i have (laughs) yeah i mean I guess that is kind of sad that his family didn't come. I think because we're in COVID times, I'm like, everyone's alone for the holidays. What What are you talking about? I know. You have your staff. <laughs> what did you think of the scene? I didn't even think about that. <laughs> with um, the cow and, you know, where he's saying, oh, nice firm rump. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. Me too. I really liked that one. <laughs> Yeah, I love that. I don't know how he could possibly have not figured out that she was completely out of place because every single thing they tried to do together, she was like, what? What's a cow? Where does it go? What's happening? Oh, the barn? Is this our barn? (laughs) That must be it over there. I know. (laughs) Yeah, they must have been totally, like, blinded by, you know, success and seeing what they wanted to see or whatever. Yeah. I guess I could see how, in some ways, he would find it appealing, like, this fake person she was supposed to be would be very domestic and, like, good at all of this stuff, but also very Mm -hmm. glamorous the way she was. Like, all of her clothes and, like, the way she was styled and the way she spoke did not seem like you know what you would expect from a farm wife no so he's kind of like a lot of glamorous farm wives (laughs) hanging around him he's like i could have it all i could have someone who can flip pancakes and also looks ravishing in a mink (laughs) she had some very great outfits in this movie yeah there were a lot of like very complicated outfits i think my favorite was from the beginning when she was wearing the wide leg pants with the leopard belt Yes. Oh my god, that's like a classic Emily outfit. I would totally <laughs> I feel like you have one I now. think I have. I do have a leopard print belt, and I do enjoy <laughs> wide leg pants, so. <laughs> so you, you have the same style as Elizabeth, as Elizabeth Lane. Yes, I do. That's what I'll tell myself. 
<laughs> but can you flip a pancake without hitting the ceiling? I think I could do it without hitting the ceiling. That that was a very comical scene too because <laughs> this whatever like special pancake effects they were using were, <laughs> were so ridiculous. I was like, that's clearly they not were just a pancake. throwing the pancake. Up. <laughs> It has never occurred to me to flip a pancake like that. No. I think I've tried it once or twice, but like the thing that made no sense was when Felix was like, you have to flip it up really high. And I was like, no, that I would think the opposite is true. <laughs> like, where is the pancake flipper? Like, why are they not using a tool? I don't know. I don't know what's wrong with these people. <laughs> we all want to help one another. Human beings are like that. We want to live by each other's happiness, not by each other's misery. Well, are you ready to talk about social justice, if there is anything to say? <laughs> I mean, I think the, I mean, the premise that, like, he's given, you know, he's, like, basically, he was ready to sacrifice his life for the country as, like, the, you know, one of the reasons why he should, like, get some kind of, like, special treatment. And, like, the nurse having saved the granddaughter, the Yardley's granddaughter's life is, like, the reason why she should get to call in a favor isn't social justice, but I think it, like, recognizes that, like, some people give more to society than other people. Maybe they should get more because of it. Instead of being, like, underpaid and overstressed nurses and not a lot of post-combat services for veterans. That's the only... Well, and then I guess, like, there's you know, the sort of women's place kind of thing that we've talked about. You know, she's made up this this um, persona because that's what she needs to be able to afford to live in, in New York. And, you know, and, and she's like, she, she paid a six, six months of her salary for this mink coat, which outlandish, but like has to send it back. Also not social justice, but I think like highlights that like she's trying really hard to be like a working woman. But, you know, it's it's she can't just be herself and succeed. Yeah. What do you think? I mean, there's no overt message for sure, Mm -hmm. but I agree about, like, being a working woman and the fact that she's kind of willing to stick her neck out for her editor to, like, secure his job, I thought was noble. Um, And then, more subtle, the women... The mothers of the babies, mm-hmm. they work, they're working in factories because the men are at war and yeah, they're contributing and theoretically Nora's watching them as like a way to support these women supporting the war effort. So there is that. There's sort of like a everyone pull together for the community undertone, but it's yeah. pretty subtle. Yeah, it's definitely in the background. So I don't think it really has one. I've been living my own life, making my own decisions for a long while now. It's impossible to go back to being treated like a child again. But what do you think about Bechtel? I feel like there are moments when Elizabeth and Nora have conversations that are not like, they're like more about domestic tasks than men. Or they're like... Like, like, thinking about, like, when she first gets there and, you know, and Nora's like, oh my god, what is happening? But they're not, like, about romance, necessarily. Yeah. Right? I think that it probably passes for that reason. And also, you know, romance is a big component of the movie, but the really the main plot is just whether or not they can pull off this ruse and retain their jobs. Yeah. So. Right. And it, like, gets pulled under by, or more complicated, because, like, then she falls in love with this guy, but that's not, like, that's not why the movie starts. 
Yeah. It's not like the, th- the thrust of the movie. So they are talking about a lot of things throughout the movie that are not just relationships. Yeah. So. They're talking about kidneys and flipping flapjacks. <laughs> and sleighs and cows. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Did you think it was weird that they had a um, square dance? Yes. In Connecticut? Because I thought that was really weird, but... On Christmas night? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I needed some explanation for that. I like I, I thought I also thought it was weird that you know uh, Jefferson was um, smoking in the hospital, but I realized that that was probably time period appropriate. I think that's probably that probably was allowed in nineteen forty four or nineteen forty five uh, hospitals. But every time he lit up, I was like, so you can't have a meal, but you can smoke a cigarette. Got it. Yep. <laughs> Yeah. Sure. I just, <laughs> Sounds like science. <laughs> <laughs> my mom just told me that every time my grandpa had a birthday, his mom would buy him a carton of, ci- or, a, yeah, a carton of cigarettes as his gift, which, like, now no parent would probably give to their child, but. No. <laughs> so times were different. Uh, so what do you think ratings-wise? I feel like whatever, um, whatever rating I give it is not, like, it doesn't really, like, relate to other movies we've seen recently. Um, like, like, this four would not be the same as, like, other fours that I've given. So I'm gonna say four. But I feel like it was, like, it was enjoyable and, um, you know, like, there are some plot holes and some things that don't really make sense. But, like, on the whole, it was... You know, fun to watch and, um, you know, fun to think about and, like, felt kind of Christmassy. And I don't know that I would want to watch it at any other kind of time of year, but I would definitely watch it again. It was a good, I think, introduction to, like, Barbara Stanwyck's, like, comedic timing. And it was fun to see, like, all the character actors. Yeah. That's what I would say. I think I've only seen her in the more noir-type stuff. Mm -hmm. So this was my first time seeing her to comedy and I really liked her like that I think I actually liked her better <laughs> in the comedy yeah. um yeah I agree I mean, I would rewatch this as a Christmas movie it was like a very cozy fun watch yes um, I guess I'd probably give it like a three point <laughs> seven five or something like uh-huh. that um I liked a lot of the like secondary character performances and it just felt, like, cozy. I love the scene where she's decorating yeah. the tree and Jefferson is, like, playing the piano and singing. Um, yeah. I th- cozy, I think, is a good word for this movie. It's, it's like, a, the Hallmark movie mm-hmm. before a Hallmark movie's were a thing. Sort of, like, upscale. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a Hallmark movie, but better. <laughs> yeah, I would watch it cozy. again. It's cozy. And I've been telling other people they should watch it this year too as a christmas movie so um i'm glad we did me too and so can you remind us again what is our january movie gonna be our january movie is uh bringing up baby we are kicking off the year again with the hepburn grant pairing the only way to start the new year May it please the court, I submit that my entire line of defense is based on the proposition that persons of the female sex should be dealt with before the law as the equals of persons of the male sex. Follow the Screen Sirens on Twitter at the Screen Sirens.
And leave us a review on iTunes or SoundCloud to help other people find us. Thanks for listening. After all, tomorrow is another day.